0: Lessons everyone. This is Lester Young. Welcome you to the new Just Us Speaks
1: podcast from Just Leadership, and I am Hakeem Crampton, your co-host. Just Us Speaks is being produced to amplify the voices of directly impacted people, particularly the voices of formerly
0: incarcerated people. Just Leadership was founded on the principle that those who are closest to the problem are also closest to the solution, but too often further from the resources and power to affect positive change. So on this first season of Just Thus Speaks podcast,
1: we're interviewing leaders from the most recent 2022 cohort of Just Leadership USA's Leading with
0: Conviction leadership training program. Listen, before I even start this introduction, I need y'all to like stand up, clap your hands, do all of this stuff, because I want to welcome you today. We're talking with Brittany Love. Blessings.
2: Thank you. Thank you. So glad to be here with y'all.
0: Yes, Brittany is currently
1: serving as Washington Statewide Reentry Council Coordinator. Brittany is passionate and a criminal legal reform and criminal justice advocate. As a formerly incarcerated woman of color, Brittany provides unique expertise through her lived experience, community advocacy, and public policy work. She serves on multiple federal and statewide coalitions focused on policy solutions to eliminate barriers for those exiting incarceration.
0: Brittany graduated summa cum laude from Washington State University in Vancouver, Washington, where she achieved her bachelor's degree in public affairs with a concentration in justice. Yes, indeed. She
1: ain't stopped there. During the 2020 (laughs) legislative session, she served in the Washington State House of Representatives as a legislative policy intern, where she had the opportunity to engage with the legislative firsthand, furthering her commitment to public service, specifically
0: her dedication to criminal legal reform. Wow, Brittany, you're definitely putting in a lot of work. <laughs> Prior to this, Brittany worked as a student support service program coordinator at Laos Columbia College, where she acted as a key support for disadvantaged students' populations. She is committed to serving her community with the goals of creating a better future for all. Brittany, 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 welcome to the Just Us Speaks podcast.
2: Always good to be in community with you all. Just real quick, I just want to flag, I hate the word reform. <laughs> so i just want to flag that real quick I'm, I'm here to to tear it down okay this criminal legal system gotta go um we need to build something beautiful so reforming it doesn't work i need to
1: rebuild let's rebuild okay. let's start there yeah let's start yeah, there. yeah you're you coming in hot you're coming in <laughs> hot yeah. let's start there Brittany. Get, t- tell us your what's your model for for the work that you're doing then you know t- tell us about rebuilding what does that look like for you as a as an advocate, as a, as a trailblazer in the work you're doing?
2: That's a great question, Hakeem, because I think rebuilding is like definitely not a new idea, right? But we've been reforming for forever and that's not working, right? Mm-hmm. So what we need to have are systems in place that really care for people, mm-hmm. that meet people where they're at. Like the outcomes aren't great, right? The outcomes of the systems that we have aren't great. They're harmful, they're traumatic, and we're all a testament to that. Right. We all have this testimony of being system impacted. And I think that we deserve better. I think that our entire society deserves better. So I guess rebuilding really for me is starting from the beginning and, and not from the end, looking at things, looking at the input rather than the output.
0: So like we got to we got, like we got someone about to jump into some politics, you know, to get into the house <laughs> and start disrupting this house, you know, Brittany, what what is the what is the most satisfying thing to you in the work you just mentioned that you want't believe in destroying or tearing down this whole system and rebuilding what what is that thing outside of being someone who's been directly impacted what what else satisfy you what what what's that fire that pushes you every day
2: I mean honestly it's love right it used to be anger it used to be like this anger that things had been hard it's like I I keep I keep thinking about like my origin story. Like I'm really living into my villain era, right? (laughs) Talking about an origin story, but like it came from pain. It came Mm -hmm. from not feeling like I belonged, from feeling like an outcast. It came from not being sure of who I was. Came from not so much self-hatred, but I guess, I mean, yeah, not feeling like I didn't love myself Mm. and I didn't feel loved by my society, by those around me. So I think changing or really turning that that hatred or that discomfort or that lack of strong identity into like a labor of love for others and for people who also deal with the same feelings in society. So the the oppression that folks deal with. I mean, I'm a Black woman who grew up in a predominantly white area, a rural area in Washington state where there was nobody who looked like me. I didn't have any role models who looked like me. I didn't have, you know, peers who looked like me. And that was made extremely obvious from a very young age. So it was painful. It was painful to, to not fit in, to to feel, to be given this this hatred that society gives to folks who aren't the same, right? So what, what has happened for me is I've turned that anger and those feelings into love, for others and want for something different. And so I think like that's really where the passion lies for me, the belief that we can be better, you know, and then all of the pain of our ancestors, mm. remedying that and making sure that we don't pass that on to future generations.
1: Mm. Wow, powerful. So I can imagine that that passion is probably what led you to leading with conviction, right? And so congratulations, you know, on being a recent graduate.
0: Thank um you, and thank
1: welcome you. to this you know illustrious family. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so that experience share with us what that experience was like for you bringing that passion with you into just leadership hoping to find what that passion was leading you to the, your why for being there right share what that experience was like and inside that experience what was one thing or the thing or the things while you were there in just leaderships leading with conviction training program that really you're gonna take with you and stuck out and it's gonna, you know, be that pivotal piece that you utilize as a catalyst for the for your why, why you came there to begin with.
2: Man, leading with conviction was something different, right? I was finally in a room with people who I had so much in common with, regardless of like our views for the future or you know, like the dreams, the passion, like it was all there. Like being in a room for the first time with all folks directly impacted, formally incarcerated with this passion to change the world, right? Like that power was amazing. I remember the first day, I think Matt asked us to introduce ourselves, right? It's like name, pronouns, why you're here and something unique about you, right? And normally like that unique thing is that like, I'm formally incarcerated in this space, you know, in, in any space in the future or in the, in the past, like any space that I've been in, it's like, oh, maybe there's one or two other folks who had been justice impacted, but we're bringing that experience. And that's what people expect our perspective to bring, right? But being in a space where I was with all other folks who had been justice impacted, and we were all here to like bring our personal experience, but that wasn't what set us apart. So that was powerful, right? It was powerful. And then like leaning into the conversations with people about leadership and about, you know, what we want for the future. That was amazing. And I think the thing that I'm really walking away with was the network, right? We became a family, you know, this cohort, I still work with and talk to a bunch of people who are in our cohort. Lester said, when we first hopped on here, like I, we just met this week, right? I just had a conversation with him on Monday. Like, this is my brother. I learn from him every single time he speaks, you know, and he's made himself available outside of just our coaching calls. And like, that is amazing. Hakeem, I get to follow you on social media and see all the amazing, wonderful work you get to do. Like that network is, is great. You surround yourself with people who inspire you, who are doing the work that you're doing. And like, there's so much power in that. So that's really what I walked away from leading with conviction
0: with. You know, that's a very common thing you hear. Um, and that's just a uniqueness about our uh, leading with conviction program. It, it brings you into this family of like, I finally found my tribe of people who have very similar experiences myself. And that's very empowering. And that's just, again, the unique uniqueness of our organization. It was founded by a formerly incarcerated person. It's led by formerly incarcerated people. And we're fighting to change a system that has impacted all of us and our families and generations to come. So that's just the beauty of it. So like just hearing you talking and reading your bio, I'm like, what is Britney's five or 10 year goal? Like, you know, when, when it's, now, to me, you know, I was like, "Wow, I want, I'm really interested." And just tell us, what is your five year to ten year goal? You know, looking looking into the future with the knowledge that you have learned over the years from your lived experience of being incarcerated, graduating from college, and doing a lot of great work in the community, and now you have completed the leader in conviction, you have a stronger family of network now. Mm-hmm. Where do you see yourself in the next five or ten years?
2: Yeah, I think really diving into policy work right now, like. Mm. Shortish term, right? The next like four or five years. Uh, so I'm applying to law schools now.
0: Wow. So I wanna Congratulations. Going back to school.
2: <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So that's what that will look like the next four years, right? Getting into school, really diving into that JD program and getting involved in my community using that, right? So diving into policy work is my plan. So I relocated to DC, I think like mid cohort, right? My mm-hmm. partner got into law school, we relocated and I'm on the East coast and I thought, what better time, right? <laughs> it's time to go back to school. So I think law is a tool, right? It has been used for centuries to oppress people,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but I think that we can also use that as a tool for collective liberation. So that's the dream. Get my JD sit for the bar. I know that that's going to be a process in itself, right? With the past that I bring, yeah, really getting, getting barred, right? Becoming a barred attorney and then diving into civil rights work. I found a lot of work to be done in the voting rights space. And I just kind of fell into that. And now I get to use like my experience with losing my voting rights and then um, getting my rights back in some instances. And like, I get to use this life experience to really affect change for others. So I'll continue to do
0: that. Wow. And that's, that's truly inspiring. I mean, just wanted to say that before I pass it to Hakeem, that's truly inspiring to know that all of us on this call, um, we went through something But how that one thing that we went through, which is incarceration, how it molded and shaped us to not be, you know, even we survive a lot of this stuff inside of those systems to be where we are now. And for us to be thinking about getting into politics, getting into law, organizing advocacy, man, that's a powerful thing, you know, like the. They threw us to die in these prisons, but we were rolls. I think Tupac says is that the, the rose that grew from concrete. You know what I'm saying? That's like, really, what we, what we really did, we defined the odds. So it's just, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, and continue to do that work because it's powerful. I'm truly inspired by that, you know? Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, so, you know, that leads into a, another question. You know, a lot of us, for the first time, we kind of got that inspiration, that light, that, um, you know, how that light flickers in the cartoon for a lot of us, it flickered for us while we were incarcerated. You know, some of us were just leading lives, just, you know, blind, so to speak, and got caught up in the system, some kind of way, got strangled in this system. And while there, some of us woke up, like for myself, you know, for the first time, I read a book from cover to cover, although I could read quite well. And so uh, that book for me was The Autobiography of Malcolm X by Alex Haley. And that book was an instrument for where I am now, for the work that I'm doing, for the who I am, for the why I do what I do, so to speak. So was there a book for you? Was there some form of inspiration while you were, uh, you know, being strangled, confronting the system? You know, what was there that gave you an opening, uh, a light, so to speak?
2: Yeah. Interestingly enough, um, it was Chasing the Scream. I don't remember the author at the moment, but Chasing the Scream. I came across this book. I read it. I had a lot of like, I mean, like we have, right? Internalized oppression, internalized thoughts that are given to us by society. And this book did like a, a worldwide tour of how different countries deal with addiction and substance use disorder, right? The laws surrounding that. And I guess I had never really I had never really like dove into that, you know, outside of where I was struggling with addiction. I think I really started struggling with substance use disorder in my early teens. So like middle school, I started drinking and smoking. Right. And like this, I didn't have any view outside of that, um, outside of how America deals with the war on drugs. Right. And so like this view of like substance use disorder, around the world was different and the policies were different and the way that they treated people was different. So like this stigma that I was carrying around and this idea of the person that I was based on my addiction, right? Like the society sees you as like evil, as like a throwaway, right? All of these things, like something is inherently wrong with you because of addiction. That let me step a little bit outside of that view that America holds and the way that we treat people. And I was like, okay, so like the humanity outside of addiction and the the person that I am doesn't have to be defined by this. Mm. And so that that like took me down an entirely different path of thought about like all of the other things that I had been prescribed, right, by society. The, the identity, the, the internalized oppression. And it's interesting too, because depending on where you are in the world, your identity that people give you is different, right? Yeah. I grew up in an entirely white area and it was clear to people I was black. And that's what they told me when I was young, right? But if I come to Washington, DC, where 49% of the population is black, like people sit on the bus and they're like, what are you <laughs> right i get that a lot because i'm extremely light skinned and people don't don't immediately prescribe that to me right so it's it's interesting how like the identity that other people give you is different based on where you are so it's like that's kind of started shedding some of the stigma with addiction through that book understanding that that's society's problem right what they're giving us is is their problem and like how we deal with it could be much more humane and not give people all this stigma and maybe, you know, deal with things in in a harm reduction manner rather than shame-based.
4: Just Leadership USA amplifies the power of directly impacted people by investing, educating, empowering, and elevating their voices so they have the tools and resources to self-organize and advocate for themselves, their families, and their communities. Together, we build an equitable, fair, and just US. To date, over 1,400 leaders in 45 states and in Washington, D.C., are hard at work transforming people and communities who are harmed by mass incarceration. Please partner with us to bend the arc of criminal legal reform by donating to our leadership programs today. Our network of leaders is strong and growing Together, we're building local power for national impact. Every donation supporting JLUSA and our leaders has a ripple effect across families, communities, and generations. With your support, we can continue working together towards our singular vision of a just, equitable future for all. To learn more, go to jlusa.org/give2023. That's jlusa.org dot O-R-G backslash G-I-V-E two zero two
3: three.
0: As I was hearing you explain that, I was just thinking, I have like so many questions I want to ask, but I'm just want to like, my question would be is like knowing where you come from, raised in a community that didn't really accept you for who you really are, gave you an identity. You know, and that created maybe some sense of depression or just stress, just dealing with not knowing and then the society not seeing you. Right. And then from there, moving into an addiction. And most people, when you see that are struggling with an addiction in our society, they become invisible. So it's like you went through these various layers of becoming invisible. And then here you are inside of an incarcerational system, another layer of invisibility. Right. And now you're out. But my thing is, like, what would you tell some young woman who who experienced Struggling with addiction, struggling with a sense of self identity. What would be that word of encouragement that you would speak to some young woman who's in that situation right now and needs some words of upliftment?
2: I mean, you are so worthy, right? Mm -hmm. You are so worthy. The people who give you all of these things that you're carrying around, like, those aren't yours. Those Mm -hmm. aren't yours. Those are theirs. And they can have them. They can have whatever thoughts that they want to have about you. But you are so worthy. I dealt with for a long time, like these questions. And these, like I said, it was, it turned into anger, right? Like you said, this layer of invisibility or like this, this othering that people did. It was painful and it made me angry. And that anger was where I kind of kept my power, but it wasn't powerful, right? It was harmful to me. I heard this a long time ago, Like holding, a, holding that anger is like you picking up a hot stone with the intention of throwing it at someone, right? Who gets burned? you right so like you you are burning yourself holding on to all that anger holding on to whatever folks are giving you like you are worthy you have so much power and you can change this world right your experience is your own um
1: mm-hmm.
2: and and it's powerful the world needs to learn from you
1: wow that's yeah that's that's the type of uh <laughs> what do we call it? lived experience right? That's the expertise <laughs> yeah when you have that lived experience you know the most connecting thing to us you know when you say you're worthy, that's that piece uh, within self uh, that has been turned off for a lot of us, right? Mm -hmm. And so connecting back to that light switch, I was just kind of asking about that intellectual, that mental light switch, and now you just connect it right back to the emotional, you know, the core, the spiritual part of our beings, you know, which must be taken care of, you know, in a unique way. So, you know, you have a heck of a lived experience, just like all of us, right? Um, tell us, how do you really embrace assuring that you're caring for your heart and your mind and your soul, that you're not, you know, over engrossing yourself in the, your passion, pursuing your pain, so to speak, right? To heal your pain. So what are you doing to, self, to, to care yourself, self-care?
2: <laughs> uh, this, is, this is funny. Lester actually called me out during uh, Leading with Conviction <laughs> during one of our classes. But my self-care, I found, is uh, a lot of thrill-seeking, <laughs> Um, I love I mean I love the outdoors I love you know hiking mountain climbing like I love all of these things but I think like where I found the most like release and freedom is this thrill seeking so I've gone like skydiving and bungee jumping but like my regular activity is snowboarding like I'm, I'm super excited. There's not a ton of snowboarding near Washington, DC, but headed home for the holidays in Washington, they already have snow. So I was talking about like, you know, flying down the mountain with like nothing but the wind, right? Like you can hear nothing. It's cold, like everything is shut off. Mm. Um, when that's not accessible, water water does it for me like sitting by a rushing river or a waterfall like just making sure that I'm tuning into nature and like really checking out of all of the stressors that come with the work right but this stuff is what drives me so making sure to balance self-care is, is super important but I think it's it's also rewarding to do the work that we do and I find like there's so much good in connecting with our community and being in community with folks who understand us and who want a different future for our next generation is also something that I value a lot. So like there that that balance there is is so essential.
0: <laughs> yeah. I came I remember uh it was like like you said it was a couple months It's been what five, six months now, but I saw on Facebook and I was looking and she had this rope tied around and it was just like a, it was like in a (laughs) valley jumping off this bridge or something. Right. And I'm looking like, is she about to do this? And yo, she like jumped and I was like, oh my, my heart like jumped out of my chest, bro. Like. I don't think I could have done that. Like, be honest with you. I I love, I love hiking. I love walking. I love all of that stuff. But that thrill thing right now, I (laughs) got to conquer, you know what I'm saying? But you know, it's, it's, it's good to have that balance because of the work we're doing because it's so personal to us. We go 100 every day. Right. We don't, we don't unplug because one is like, you know, being in prison, you know, you never I, for me, I never thought like getting out of prison, I'll be able to do what I love to do and get paid for it and and live. my. I never thought that that was possible. So now when I when I got employed with just leadership, it became like the the perfect marriage. Like I'm married to it. I'm loyal to it. I'm going to treat her right. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> yeah, I'm going to treat this. Yeah, this is a this is to me is a gift. It's a blessing. But I noticed in it, it took me a while because I, I'm I'm married and committed to it. I had to like learn how to balance life. You know what I'm saying? I had to yeah. learn how to balance self care and the work. I can do this all day because before I was getting paid, I would still do it. Now yeah. it's like, how do I continue to do that? So it's important that we we learn that.
3: Mm-hmm. We are so excited to invite you to the Just Leadership USA 9th Annual Benefit Gala Monday, June 5th, 2023 at Ph.D. Rooftop Lounge at Dream Downtown in New York City. We are excited to bring JLUSA leaders, allies and advocates together in person to unite around our shared values and propel our vision for the future. During the last year, we've made significant strides in building our capacity and infrastructure to become the only national systems change movement and policy table led by and for directly impacted people. This coming June, please join us for our first in-person celebration in over two years. Learn more at JLUSA.org backslash gala. That's J-L-U-S-A dot O-R-G backslash G-A-L-A.
0: My last question before we wrap up is just really wanting to know, like, what are some of the lessons you learned from your failure? I mean, you had to talk Monday and we was talking about my trip to Ghana and we talked about the Sankufa. Like the the symbol of Sankufa meaning cool me, you reach back into your past and you pull the lessons from the past mistakes and you pull it forward in the future. So what are some of the lessons you're pulling from your past into the future to continue to guide you?
2: I've touched on it a little bit, but definitely the view of self. Mm. I think accepting others views of me is no longer acceptable mm. for me, right? Finding strength and identity and really like self love. That's a lesson that I had to learn the hard way, right? Got me into all sorts of trouble, not being sure of who I was and listening to other people. And I also think that I learned a lot from, you know, system involvement. I learned a lot about the way the system values or doesn't value humanity. So Mm -hmm. seeing other people's humanity who are in desperate situations. Is something that I, you know, continue to do, valuing people based on their humanity rather than what greater society wants us to use to value people. It's like a conversation that I've actually had a lot lately is the way that like America values a person is usually about their efficiency. Like what do they provide? What do they give to or give back to our country? And that doesn't work for me. Right. It doesn't work for me to value someone based on their their productivity based on their efficiency because like every human is beautiful and deserves life and deserves, you know, a good stable, healthy, loving life. And not everyone has that. So I guess like there's so many small lessons or large lessons that I get to apply to like this labor of love in the work that I do and just in daily interactions, right? Like Mm -hmm. we had, we talked about invisibility, And we have invisible populations all over, right? Like people struggling with houselessness. I walk outside, people are starving and cold. And, you know, people are rude and don't see that humanity. So I guess that is something that I try to practice daily.
0: Empathy, empathy, empathy. Mm -hmm. It's one of the key things of being a leader. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, that's one of the things we can conclude with, Brittany. It's been a wonderful, you know, time interviewing you. And uh, we would love to hear your, you know, your model and philosophy of leadership, having gone through all the experiences you've gone through, and now you're leading with conviction in an exceptional way. How are you doing? So what is your leadership, you know, philosophy and model?
2: I think I kind of just said it. It's really empathy, right? Really empathy and like leading towards collective liberation. I'm super passionate about freedom and equity. And I didn't realize this long while back, right? I didn't realize that a lot of like my passion was given to me as a birthright. We talked about this a little bit Lester on Monday about, you know, like these things are passed down from our bloodline. And before my grandpa passed, we had multiple conversations about like some of the things that he was doing, but I was already doing this work that was in line with the work that he did when he was Mm. young. Right. And I had no idea. I didn't know about my grandpa's past. I didn't know about where mm. he came from, but he he was working in like the political sphere, working on like, you know, civil rights issues. He fought in the Vietnam War, he came back and they were unable to get housing because they were black, right? So like all of these things that I'm like passionate about and fighting for, like they were given to me as a birthright. And mm. I don't wanna see my descendants go through what my grandpa went through, right? So we're like this, we're just gonna keep passing down the work, but hopefully with some progress made. So I think my my motto is really, you know, like live into that collective liberation and love others, really feel empathy and value others by their humanity.
3: Yeah,
0: that's 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 powerful, right? Because yeah, that's that's like really powerful um, for us to really understand our ancestral link to the movement. Like you know, I was inspired like Hakeem with uh, Malcolm X, but it, it, it comes a different inspiration or motivation when you hear that there's someone in your bloodline was a community advocate or and organizer. It's it's something different, it becomes now personal. Not only do you have the lived experience, but now I was like, yo, my grandma, my grandma was doing this. And now yeah. it makes me want to go back to who else in my family was a community organizer because I truly believe now I'm at this understanding where it's almost like our ancestors are in, in this in this marathon run or this this relay race of once they get to a certain part and they transition, they pass the baton to you. And it's up to you to run it further. But you see that there's a long line of fighters in your bloodline. And for me, when I found this out, it may, I stand different. You know, not only just as a person who's directly impacted, I stand different now because I know I'm truly standing on the on the shoulders of my ancestors, not someone that I'm not really familiar with, but literally somebody in my bloodline. So that's a very powerful thing. And I may you continue to usher through life and continue to live on that, knowing that you are making those who came before you and died or transition, making them proud. You know, so powerful. Hakeem, what's good, brother? It's been wonderful interviewing Brittany. <laughs> you,
1: have and dropping that deep, heartfelt jewels to take us deep yeah. into ourselves, to really think about, you know, justice work from within and not just justice work from without, because there's so much uh, to be considered of uh, each of us and our experience and how deeply we are connected to it. So thank you profoundly for this interview today. We enjoyed you.
2: Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Always good to be in community. You, y'all. Always.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything you want to say before we conclude this, this very inspiring podcast with any positive words you want to share before we conclude?
2: I'd just really like to, you know, pass on this network, right? This network of folks doing this work. We are passionate. We are grounded people who love this community, right? You are a part of all of this, right? You are a part of this. Let's change the world. Let's rebuild. Let's rebuild.
0: i with it. I'm with it i'm with it too thanks again sis really appreciate you it's been a pleasure and i look forward to talking to you again be blessed
2: thank you